If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what's going on, winners? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast. This is episode number 78. Today is Friday. December 14th, 2018, I am Patrick Moran. Coming up on today's show, I take a little dip back into the wrestling chat pool. I'll be talking to Jason Solomon, a.k.a. the Solomonster and host of the Solomonster Sounds Off podcast. One of the more popular wrestling podcasts out there. Jay's built a very large following through the years of doing this been at it since 2007 and we talk about his show some of the famous wrestlers that he's had an opportunity to interview through the years and i get his take on the current state of the wwe which if you watch it i mean i'm not telling you something you don't already know it's not freaking good right now not at all in fact it's quite terrible so i get his take on that and then we run down sunday's upcoming tlc pay-per-view and the solid monster offers his insight and his predictions on the show, which I hope is good, but man, I just don't have any faith. But I do have faith in Jason. Great interview. Going to bring that to you in just a couple minutes. Before that, though, it'll be the customary Running With Joe segment featuring my buddy Joe. And unlike last week's segment, which was an absolute audio disaster, he had major Skype issues. This week, much better, much more clear sound. We're talking Buffalo Bills. Now I'm going to bring up five players on the Bills that I think have the most to play for over these last three weeks. Of course, we talk about Josh Allen and a couple other Bills-related things as well. We also hit on the Sabres, talk a little bit of sports media, much more good stuff with Joe. Before we get started, just a couple quick shout-outs. Shout-out to Buffalo. I'm doing this for Friday's show, and then I got two more shows here in Florida next week. And then I'm going to be in Buffalo for the holidays for two weeks. Can't wait. Going to tape a couple shows in Buffalo. I got a couple people in mind that I really want to have on. And rather than doing a phone interview or Skype interview, hoping to meet up with them in person. Maybe we'll go to a bar, some wings, a couple beers, do a nice taping there. So I'm looking forward to that. Shout out Buffalo. Also shout out to Nate Gary from WGR. Just had a conversation with him today. Was working out some of the finer details. I said this last week. I am going to be doing, starting sometime in January, semi-regular, I don't want to say regular because that would mean every week, semi-regular segments on The Office, which again, my favorite show of all time. Nate's all in for it. We discussed some ideas. We do some stuff around today and it's going to be really good, man. So if you're a fan of The Office and or you know someone who is, make sure you let them know because it's going to be a lot of fun and we're going to do a lot of different things with that show. So anyway, that's that for today. I got a packed episode. Let's get right into it. Here's the running with Joe followed immediately by my interview with Jason Solomon of the Solomonster Sounds Off podcast. Let's go.
All right, it's the weekly, well, mostly weekly, I should say, the running with Joe, with my buddy Joe from the city that never sleeps, New York City. You can follow him on Buffalo Winds on Twitter. Got a handful of things, dude, I want to cover. So instead of bannering here at the top, let's get right down to business. I'm going to start with the Buffalo Bills. Joe, if I told you in September that the Bills would be 4-9 and nine right now after 13 games, I think we would both agree that that certainly sounds about right. Not unexpected at all. One thing, though, that I would not have expected to say is that Josh Allen's out there doing it by himself on offense because, let's face it, he ain't got shit to play with. I thought LaShawn McCoy and Charles Clay, they would have been calming veterans out there, a good influence out there, guys who are vets who can make plays, but they've been complete non-factors. Who knows? Maybe they've even mailed it in at this point. Don't even get me started on Kevlar Benjamin. He's gone. But considering undrafted rookie Robert Foster, he's been arguably Josh Allen's best weapon and biggest asset. Is it safe to say that this dude is out there trying to play offense by himself? Yeah, I mean, it definitely is. I mean, I I looked this up uh, prior to our podcast, but in the last three games since he came back from his injury, The Bills have 1,100 yards in total offense, and Josh Allen has 904 yards of those those yards. (laughs) So, like, yeah, it's basically him out there on the ground. A lot of it on the ground too, which is crazy. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's he is the one man, you know, one man show. Now, in terms of like NFL standards, like you know, if you're comparing it to like where you want your offense to be in those standards, it's not where you want it to be, obviously. But yeah, he's definitely playing with a lot of it's a ragtag bunch on offense right now. It's just, it's, it's, and it's, it's, you know, kudos to him. Like, you know, he has done a lot with, you know, minus any parts. And I think if you're excited about Josh Allen, I think you'll be more excited about him next year when we have to assume they're going to go out there and get him as many weapons as possible, because, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to go in next year with Zay Jones as your number one wide receiver. And, and Jason Kroom is your, as your, is your starting tight end probably. You know, so, uh, yeah, it's it's been impressive. And I think he, you know, overall for him, he's gotten better every week. Or I mean, he kind of he slid a little bit this week against the Jets. But he's a lot better, even against the Jets, he's a lot, he was a lot better at, against the Jets than he was, I think, against Tennessee or a couple other games, you know, that before he got hurt. But, yeah, it's, it's, been, a, it's been the Josh Allen show for the most part. I know he's not the most accurate guy, but I feel like those are mistakes that's correctable. But we talked earlier in the season saying this offense maybe could be historically bad. Just imagine if Josh Allen wasn't out there making plays mainly with his legs. I mean, he does throw some nice balls. They're fun to watch. But man, he is doing things with his legs right now that we didn't see. Not even when Tyrod was here, we didn't see these kind of numbers from a quarterback running the ball. Just imagine if Josh Allen did not come back from this elbow injury that he suffered against Houston. And we had to look at Barkley or Derek Anderson right now. The way the rest of this offense is playing, God, it just would be so ugly. It would be unwatchable, I think. I wouldn't be watching. No, no, no bullshit. I would not be watching those games if it was Matt Barkley starting. I would probably watch it on Twitter and maybe like that's it, you know, here and there to look back. But yeah, it would be it would be horrible. It's like he is. I don't want to say he's must see TV because that's that's like you know Tom Brady's like must see TV, you know. But Josh. Josh Allen definitely is like uh, what what makes me want to watch a Bills game to see how he progresses. 
you know, I'll say this about the running thing. And I've been trying to, like, you know, figure this out, like, overall. Like, I, and we talked about this a couple of times. Like, I definitely want – I'm fine with my quarterback being a dual threat when it comes to rushing and, and passing, that sort of stuff. But, like, if you take away his running ability, are you really impressed with Josh Allen as a thrower, as a passer, as, as, from what we've seen so far? Because he's, you know, he's completing, like, what, like 55, 55% of his passes – you know, he's not he's 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 getting some yards, but then he's making some really bad throws. And if he wasn't running, I, I, I feel like the narrative on him would be a lot different. What do you think? I agree with you because I didn't expect him to be able to run. The, I knew he had some athleticism, but I didn't think that he would be able to sustain drives and make plays the way he has with his yeah. legs. But I am going to look beyond the stats, because if you only look at the stats, yeah, he's completely not impressive at all. His numbers passing wise are Middle of the pack at best, maybe even below that, below power. But he does make some really, really good throws. And you see a lot yeah. of that promise. But then we would be we would be right back to where we were when he came out of college and right before the Bill season, where like this guy can make some great plays with his fucking arm, but then he can also make some maddening plays with his arm. And that's what he did against the Jets. The Jets were a perfect example of everything we loved and hate about Josh Allen all rolled into one because both those interceptions were absolutely terrible throws. Sometimes you could blame it on the line, you know, not protecting him enough. They had to throw the ball too quick or the receiver didn't run the right route. Nah, both those picks are 100% on Josh Allen. He also lost the fumble. So yeah, I, I feel like at this point, the legs are helping us have a different view of him than we, we would probably have if it, we were going only by passing, but I am impressed with his arm and I do think that he is going to improve. I have a lot more hope now for Josh Allen as a passer than I did about six, seven weeks ago. And he's yeah, playing with, I mean, and hold on one more thing too. And he's playing with nobody. Robert Foster's sure. his best receiver, dude. Zay Jones. He had two terrible drops against the Jets. The kid looks good. Then he looks bad. This dude is playing with fucking nobody. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, he's gotten better. I'm not, I'm still in my, I'm still in wait and see with him. And look, a lot of it has to do with, I have, I have seen rookie quarterbacks, young guys come through this organization who, if you take like seven starts from them to start their careers here, they look competent, but then they, they hit a wall. Eventually it's happened to all of them. It happened to, I've, I was the guy who, when JP Lossman, like threw 365 yards against Houston and through the game winner appears this price. I said, that's our guy. Look at him. I'm excited about him. And then like the next week he had, you know, a game winning drive against a really good Jacksonville team. And then what happened? It, it, it hit a wall. I did. I was the same way with Fitz. I was the same way with EJ Manuel when EJ Manuel had his one game against the Jets, his rookie year where he was really good against them. And, and then it went just completely to hell, you know? So I'm not ready. I, again, I need, it's, I'm not going to have a finished idea of what he is, you know, until at least like 16, 16 games into his career, which was going to be probably midway, you know, a month into next season, you know, as he'll be the start. That's where I'm at. Very I'm, fair. I'm, very fair. I, Let me ask you this, though. Do you have sure. let's not talk about a finished product because he's far from a finished product. Do you have right. more hope for him now than you did when he came back from the elbow injury? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, he's he's played better. Like, so I, I can't ignore that. Like he's played better. He still has them things to work on. I still, I still, I still think the biggest issue for him is he just has to, he has to read defenses better. I think at times he does take off a little bit too early in the pocket. 
and again, like the offensive line sucks. So obviously I'm not going to put that all on him, but like, you know, he, he, he t- does at times take off a little bit too soon, which tells me maybe he's not reading defenses as well as he should. So he just, he just says the hell with it. I'm out. You know what I mean? I think, I think eventually, and I don't know why the hell this hasn't happened yet. Like teams are going to like take away that run and they're going to say, Hey, you're not running against us anymore. We're going to make you beat us as a quarterback. You know, you always hear that saying, you know, they probably did that a little bit with a couple other scrambling quarterbacks in the league. But, you know, that's, I think that's what he has to work on. Like he's got to work on reading defenses more and, uh, you know, he's, but he's gotten better, but you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and just start waxing poetically. Like, ah, he's the guy. I, I totally, I, you know, I have a, you know, I totally believe in him. I'm, I'm skeptical. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to say cautiously optimistic. I'm just cautious. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we'll see. You know, that's that's how I'm at. You know, it's, it's a, when he throws like when I, I would like to definitely see a better passing ga- game where he's like near 300 or something like that and has like three touchdowns and like really does it on his arm. You know, and then that's where I would go. OK, great. Like then that tells me like he's he's getting better as a passer in that regards, more so than the combined total yards, which, again, I'll take the total yards. I'm not going to like say, hey, I don't want that. I'll take that. But give me a little bit of the passing if that makes sense. It does. It makes sense. You know, sometimes when you have a rookie quarterback who's drafted so high and you're placing so much of your future on him, it's easy to lose sight of everything else on the team, good or bad, that's going on. You know, we do this every week. Most podcasts do. You could probably fill a podcast each and every week, at least during the season, just talking about Josh Allen. I do want to move on because I want to get to a couple other things here regarding the Bills because there's many guys that I feel like they've already sealed their future with this team, whether that's good or bad. Good, maybe being a couple, Josh Allen, of course, most of the guys on the defense, I think they've all sealed their fate Look going forward. Zay Jones, a few other guys. On the opposite end, I think there's a handful of guys that I have sealed their fate, like they're going to be done really soon. And I don't really think these last three games are going to matter. Guys like Charles Clay and that ridiculous $9 million cap hit. Jordan Mills, Vlad Dukas, John Miller, that's three linemen right there. They immediately come to mind. I think they're all gone, and I don't think it really matters how they play over these last couple weeks. What I want to do is I'm going to run off five guys for you, okay, who I think have a lot to play for over these last three weeks that it's going to help shape their future with this club, whether that's good or bad. You tell me if you agree with these guys and maybe a quick thought or two on what you expect to see from them over these last couple weeks, all right? The first guy, Robert Foster. Again, numbers off the charts the last couple weeks, but this is also the same guy who couldn't catch a pass to save his life early in the season. Got cut by by the team, by the way. No one claimed him. Went to the practice squad, spent three weeks there, got back up. Now he's playing lights out. He's a guy. I think he's got a lot to prove over these last three weeks. Yeah, I, I I I like his game so far. I mean, he's a deep threat, and I think you can't have enough deep threats for Josh Allen. Uh, I I can totally see him as long as he doesn't like barf on himself the next you know the, the rest of the season. He's coming back next year because he's been he's been good. Like he and he's I think he would be a good like you know third like a, a good fourth. I was just say wide receiver for now, but like he would be that guy. Like hey, we need someone to stretch the field. We need a speedster. He's shown he can do that. So I definitely think he's got a, a future here next year. Sure. Wyatt Teller, he's a guard. He's getting extended playing time as a starter because in part because Dukas was just a disaster. A fifth round pick. You know, th- these are all guys who I expect to be back with the Bills next year, no matter how these last three weeks go. But I'm talking about, you know, in terms of what potential role they could have 
He's a guy that maybe if he plays well over these last three weeks, the Bills might decide that, you know what, he's good enough with enough holes to fill that maybe he's our starting left guard going into training camp next year. Huh. Yeah, you know what? I haven't been as w- watching the Teller snaps as a lot of I think a lot of people on Twitter have. I mean, you've been calling for Teller for a while, like even before he, you know, when he wasn't playing. So you're right, but you know I, what, dude? I'm I'm also I I did. You're right. I I thought he was going to be a huge steal, and he still might be a, a big steal. I mean, for yeah. my sake, he's a rookie, but I haven't been that impressed with him during these last couple of games. Yeah, I mean, look, he's he's their guy. I think that always matters. You know, a, a, having a fifth round you know, guard who's a second year player would just say it's not out of the, out of the realm of possibility. You know, John Miller was what a third round, a third round pick and he started as a rookie and then he started the next season. So I could definitely, I could see him as a starting guard, but I definitely think he needs help. Like they definitely need someone to play next to him to kind of help him out a little bit, like a stud, you know, or, or anything along those lines. But yeah, you know, he could, you know, he could be, he could, he could start, I guess, but I'm not, I'm not, fully on board with that you know again fifth round again fifth rounds can start on the line but like you know they might want to do better i don't know the the whole line has been horrible this year so i'm not i'm not i'm of the mindset of like i I I wouldn't be surprised if none of these guys are starting next year yeah i mean i think he's back for depth no matter what next season but if he plays really well over these last three weeks maybe he takes a big step towards being a starter i'll tell you what staying on that same path Levi Wallace is a guy who wasn't even on the team at the start of the season. He was on the practice squad at some point and he got called up. You don't hear his name often. You know, you got Poyer back there, Hyde, of course, Tredavious White, Teron Johnson was having a good year. No one speaks of Levi Wallace much, but it seems to me, and I'm no analytical guy out there, but it feels like he's having a very good season, very unheralded guy. I feel like you know, again, I go back to the, well, this team has other holes. Well, he doesn't feel like he is a hole right now, the way he's playing. Maybe teams just aren't going at him. I don't know. But if he has a good final three weeks, I think that builds a lot of momentum for him going into the offseason. And who knows, maybe even making a case as the 2019 starter. Yeah, I don't I don't really know much about much about him. So I guess your point is, Val, hey, we haven't heard much about him. So maybe that's like, that's a good thing. You know, I don't know. I mean, you, you at, the, at this point, they, they bring guys in and out. Like, you know, I'm fine with the secondary up, uh, you know, so if they want to have him there next year or if he's, I don't, I don't see, I, I think he's just a guy probably at the end of the day, you know, for what he'll bring to the table. Now, here's another guy. What about tight end Charles Kroom? Do I think this guy's going to be a superstar the next, like Jimmy Graham or Gronk? No, I don't. Not by any stretch of the imagination, but. I think it's a formality, and I've already said this. Charles Clay is going to be gone. Maybe if Kroom steps up and has a really good last couple weeks of the season, considering all the holes this team's going to have to fill on the offensive line, wide receiver, maybe running back, couple spots on defense, maybe establishing himself as a potential number one tight end could give the team, and Brandon Bean specifically, one less headache to worry about going into the offseason. Yeah, I don't know. I ha- I haven't seen much of him this year. I mean, aside from on the, the, the Pagula Daughters Instagram account all the time, you know. But other than that, I don't. I haven't seen much from him. I would. Not, it would not shock me if maybe. I don't. I mean, I shouldn't say they're going to get rid of him. But look, I I look at it this way: they had Nick Nick O'Leary last year, who I'm not. You know, I'm, I wasn't a super fan of his, obviously. But I thought he made some plays last year, and I thought he made more plays than Jason Kroom has 
And uh, I, I think for him next year, he'll, he'll probably definitely be back and he'll, maybe he'll have some role. But I, I just don't see him like, uh, you know, being like, look, he'll be like a third tight end maybe at the end of the day. Like they need to upgrade like one and two. Like, you know, if you go back to what, you know, they ran in New England, you know, they always had like they always a lot of times with New England, they had two tight ends. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and again, Dable, you know, his background is a tight ends coach, and he's taken the New England offensive philosophy with him to Buffalo. I think he wants to get probably at least like two stud tight ends. But overall for Kroom, I have I just I haven't seen anything of him this year. I I, I know he, he was kind of like a talk in training camp a little bit and preseason, like let's see what this guy does. And I don't know. I, I you know, when Charles Clay went down and like he came in there, I didn't see much from him, you know, and that's that. I mean he, he made the one touchdown throw touchdown pass. Uh, against Minnesota, that's like that's the highlight of the season for me. Unless I'm, I'm missing one or two. No, I don't think you are. The last guy I got on my list who I think has a lot to play for over these last three weeks is Jordan Phillips, defensive tackle. He's looked really good in part. I mean, he had a couple of really dumb penalties against his old team Miami, and that hurt the team. That was stupid. But overall, I think this guy's played well. And I mean, you got the possibility that this could be the end for Kyle Williams. You got Harrison Phillips and Star Little A. They're probably going to be the starters next year. But you know on the defensive line, rotation means a lot. So being a third DT means a lot of playing time. And there's a lot of prospects at the top of the NFL draft that are going to be defensive tackles. So this is a guy I think that has a lot to play for. A good final couple weeks might really cement his status as maybe that third defensive tackle going into next season. Yeah, I could definitely see him. I mean, he's made some plays this year. Uh, where was he drafted? He was like a third rounder, correct? I'm not sure. Okay. I, but he wasn't like, he was, I don't think he was like a journeyman. Like they found him off the, the Miami found him on the scrap heap, but, uh, but yeah, I could totally see him being, uh, he was a impact. second round pick. Second rounder. Yeah. And when, uh, <laughs> since you have it open, when was he drafted? I should have done 2015. He was 2015 second round pick 52nd overall. Yep. Right. Yeah. So he's, he's got talent. Obviously I could definitely see him making some, some moves, especially like, you know, with, as you said, Kyle Williams may be leaving next, you know, maybe retiring at some point. I could see him definitely, you know, if he, if he finishes up strong, he could definitely be in that rotation. And we all know like they're huge on that, on that rotation on the defensive line. So that you can't have enough defensive tackles for them. I want to get a quick thought from you on former Buffalo Bill, Aaron Williams. I don't know a lot about it. I certainly don't know a lot about his Twitter because he blocked me a handful of years ago. He didn't like a column I wrote about him. Oh, so he fucking blocked me, but he's very angry at the Buffalo bills organization. I know that much. I guess that he wanted to lead the charge and the bills said no. Now, from what I understand, I think anyway, a lot of that is predetermined before the season starts. Who's going to lead the charge. I'm, I'm not sure. I think that might be the case. But he's very angry and pissed off at the Bills. I guess he had some pretty derogatory things to say about the organization while, you know, trying to keep tight with the fans. What do you think about all that? Yeah, I, I saw that tweet. I, and I have no idea. Like, I'll just say this, a few things. One, you know, for Aaron Williams, like, I do wonder if he, if there's a part of him that's salty about how his career ended there. Because if you remember, like, he got, he had that concussion, concussion and then he came back too quickly it felt like so maybe he's like you guys shouldn't have had me play during that time frame of when that whole thing happened maybe they should have waited more more uh the second part in terms of if it's waiting you know for leading the charge you know big big fucking deal dude like okay you, you'll have your moment to lead the charge and yeah. frankly I, I think yeah. you know 
You're right. You know, when it comes when it comes when it comes to leading the charge, like I don't even know like what like if it's before the season starts. I mean, look, this year they had Stevie Johnson lead it, Drayton Florence lead it. And, you know, those guys were here, what, like five years ago? Like, that's the last time they were here. And and Aaron, and Aaron Williams was here in 2016. So maybe maybe it's like a timeout. Like, you got to wait like three, four. It's like the Hall of Fame, baby. Like, you got to wait five years before you can lead the charge or whatever. So, I mean, if that's the reason why he's he's heated, like, dude, like, come on, get a grip. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of a weird thing. I had a few DMs that, that threw me some conspiracy theories, which I'm not going to share, but I'll share with you off air. But, uh yeah, I don't know. I don't know what his, he's a hot his head. deal is. He's a hothead. Yeah, he's he always yeah. been that way. I feel bad yeah. for him the way his career ended. He didn't deserve to have that happen to him. So, you know, my, he, that doesn't make he, me happy. But he, he's a yeah. fucking hothead. Aaron Williams has always been a hothead. He did grow up a little bit, but at his core, he's just a hothead. And I guess he exploded yeah. at the Bills again and just stupid. Yeah, I'll say this real quick about Aaron Williams. He, was, he always had that unique story of a guy when he came into the league and they had him at cornerback and he was awful. Terrible. Like, so whatever, Terrible. Yeah. So what, so whatever column you wrote, you just, he deserved that. He did. He, was he awful. did. He was awful. He was awful. Yeah. And thank God. I don't know what they saw or who, the, who the guy who came up with the idea of like, Hey, let's put him at, at free safety because that saved his career. Yeah. And he was, he was a, and he was a good safety. He so was it, a good it, safety. It, he was, he was yeah. a pretty good football player and it's very unfortunate what happened to him, but, He's just always yeah. been a loose cannon from what I, yeah. from my dealings with him anyway. Right. So I, you, get over how it, How dare man. you block Pat Moran on Twitter? Come on. He did it like, did it like five, six years ago too. Whatever. Gosh. How about the opposite end of the spectrum? Then I want to move on. In fact, I forgot about this. I'm just reading it now. Thurman Thomas, Friday night on NFL Network, a football life with Thurman Thomas. You looking forward to seeing that? Did you even know about Ooh. it? Yeah, I remember hearing about that months ago when they came out with the lineup of like, of the of of those shows that he was going to be on, I, I didn't know it was this Friday. You went so to see I, that. What does Thurman rank for you among your favorite Bills players? Oh, I mean, I definitely think I put him. I think he is the most important player from the Super Bowl era, or for the Bills, like that four straight Super Bowls. That's where I rank him. I think he's more. Hmm. He was more important than Jim Kelly. I think he was that offense. Like he was pound for pound. He could catch. He could run. He also had a bit of a like he had an edge to him. Like he was always kind of like Yeah. You know, he was very standoff. He was standoffish during his career. No yeah, question about like that. Like he he was definitely like he wore a chip on his shoulder. If you talked shit about him, he got pissed off. He had fights with the press, which were which were awesome. Like he was definitely kind of moody. But he was he was a fun moody in terms of like he came out and you could tell like he was pissed off. Like if he, if someone said shit about him during the week or like a player or a columnist wrote something, he would go out there and he would be, he would just scorch defenses and it would be like that foul that like after he would be done playing. But definitely I'm, a, I'm intrigued to see his story because he's, he definitely has a lot of like, you know, with the being drafted in the second round, you know, the bickering bills part with him and Kelly weren't seeing eye to eye, you know, his career, like, you know, he was, he was in essence, like he was ahead of his time as being like that guy who was the complete package you see nowadays with running backs being able to catch and throw or catch and, and catch and run yeah. because it used to not be that way. You used to be a running back who just ran up the freaking middle and that was it. And maybe you, you caught a check down here and there, but that guy, you know, there's some, there's some awesome, you see his highlights. Like that guy can play in today's NFL. Easily. I put, I mean, I put him right can. there with uh, Bruce Smith. I think him and Bruce Smith yeah. were probably the two most important players during that Super Bowl era. And 
I would say Barry after Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders was the best. But after Barry Sanders, Thurman Thomas was probably the most fun running back to watch during that era. And I'm including Emmett Smith. I thought Thurman Thomas, <laughs> some Dallas fans are not going to like this at all, but I think Thurman Thomas was a better running back than Emmett Smith. You mm. put Thurman Thomas on that team with that offensive line and, you know, a more run first type offense, possession, control the ball type offense. Thurman Thomas would have went absolutely fucking his numbers would be crazy. He might be the all-time NFL leading rusher if he played for that team. I think he's better than Emmett. I I mean, you know me. I'm a, st- a stats guy. I mean, the one guy, the one guy's the all-time you leading rusher. You are a stat guy. You ain't lying about that. People, he's yeah, not lying. But I'll say this. I mean, it, it was it was very close when they were in their prime. And I do feel like the Bills, the Bills at one time had a really great offensive line, like during the Super Bowl yeah, era. They like did. with. Yeah, they were. It was, and I would put that line against the Dallas line, but the Bills line definitely it went bad like pretty quickly when Wolford left and Howard Ballard left, and they're throwing out Jerry Crafts and and John Fe- and John Fina was okay, but John Fina was no Will Wolford or Howard Ballard, right? You know, it, it, it definitely, and that I think that had an effect on Thurman at the end, you know, when it was all said and done. But you know, Emmett was look, Emmett was he had probably a more balanced career like you know Thurman at the end like by 97 Thurman became like a third down back a little bit while as Emmett Smith was still that feature back until like 2001 for Dallas and he was still getting thousand yard seasons but it's it's very close it's very very close just sometimes like you know longevity kind of you know will helps out in the in, in the long you know long story short of it and Emmett had a little bit more longevity than Thurman did. but it was it was definitely a debate from like 90 to 95. Like who was the best running back between those two? The, the craziest part to me, I just, I never stopped thinking about that is Oklahoma state, dude. They had Barry Sanders yeah. and Thurman Thomas one year before him. I mean, <laughs> Thurman Thomas and Barry Sanders are back to back years are your fucking star running backs. That just blows my mind. I'm looking forward to watching it Friday. I love Thurman. I like the way that he's really embraced Buffalo over the mm-hmm. last maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 years now. He does so much for the community. Man, he's always somewhere. He's part of some type of grand opening or some sort of charity. He does a lot of shit for Buffalo, man. Really good yeah. dude. And he's very entrenched in the community. Maybe as maybe to, as much or more he, than anyone else. Yeah. And he likes the Sabres too. And I, I respect him. that. Like, yeah, like, you know, one thing uh, that's at this point, this could be my finisher later, but I'm not going to use that at you. But like one thing that kind of annoys me is like with the, with the one Buffalo, like, oh, the Bills player, the Bills love the Sabres and, the, and vice versa. And I, I think that's a bunch of phony bullshit. <laughs> like yeah. Thurman, though, that's legit. Like he definitely likes them. He'll go to those games and, and watch them and he cheers for them. So. I think that's kind of cool. But yes, you're right. He does embrace Buffalo very well. That was a nice, clever segue for you talking about the Sabres. I want to talk about them now. Things were looking really bad late Tuesday night. That Chick-fil-A jinx that everyone thinks is real was in full effect. <laughs> Sabres were down to the Kings 3-1 to one after two periods at home, getting their asses booed off the ice. But Jack Eichel showed why he's become one of the legit best players in the NHL, period. One of the best. And the Sabres would go on. They force overtime. And who else but... Jeff Skinner would go on and win it. How important was getting that win Tuesday night? Because you could just sense uh, the panic button. The panic button was coming. They won 10 in a row. Then they go winless in five. Looked like it was going to be six at home against a team playing for the second night in a row on the road. Man, that panic button was getting ready to get hit pretty hard, I think. Yeah, I think I think it's been it's been such a roller coaster with the winning streak and then going into the losing streak. But, you know, you, you can look at it this way. Like, they're 13. They're 
they're what are they? They're, they're eleven three and two in their last like you know fifteen games. <laughs> so I don't, you know, it's not horrible. If no, you look at it that no. Way. But again, you lose. You know, you go five straight games and without without a win, and the yeah. expectations that ten game winning streak with it came much loftier expectations. So to go five in a row without a win, although they, yeah. I mean they played great teams and they lost every game by a goal. Two of them they get they yeah. got a point out of well, them. these, but killed by Philly. Yeah. I mean, look. Oh yeah, the Philly I, I, game, I, you're right. I think yeah, I think they yeah, would have been a little bit of a panic button. Yeah, but like, you know, everything in sports, every game feels like it's like the end all be all of the your existence as as a season goes. You know, yes. I, I think expectations have risen. I think a lot of fans, myself probably included, thought they were going to kill the Flyers and then and then just destroy LA cuz LA's been horrible this year. And uh yeah, it was a, it was a nice win. I still I still see like things they got to work on. It, it this is basically a three-man team right now on the offensive side of the puck, if you want to call it that, with the fir- the first line basically scoring all your goals and no one else is doing jack shit. You know, it feels like. So, they need to get their balance back, but uh you know, like you said with Eichel, Eichel's just the man. Like he's a he he's a playmaker. If he's not scoring, he's he's dishing apples out to other players to get goals. That's his game. Like he just makes everyone on their team better. You know, it's too bad he can't play like sixty minutes and he can roll. We can roll more players on his line because if you play with Jack Eichel, that's when you're good. Jason Pominville was hot. What the first like month of the season? Then they took him off of the first line and they put Reinhardt there. And where has Jason Pominville been? Nowhere. Right. He hasn't. He hasn't done anything because he's. You know, I don't even know where the hell he's playing now. The third line, fourth, whatever. He he hasn't done much. And I think that's what happens when you don't play with Jack. Well, I'll tell you this much. I don't think anyone would confuse either of us as being a hockey connoisseur. You know what I mean? We know hockey. We watch it. We have our opinions. I'm a hockey connoisseur. You ain't no fucking hockey connoisseur. There's a lot of people out there that are. But I think that even people, all right, we're, we're above average hockey guys, okay? We're not we're not on that level as people who cover the team. We're not even close. I think the Bills. I'm totally on that level. You're full of shit, dude. No, because you're wrong. You're full of shit. Hockey, no. I got yes. here. I'm watching. All right, go football, ahead. yes. I think football. We can sit there and hold our own, having a conversation with anyone when it comes about to the Bills or to the NFL. Hockey, not so much. But here's my point. There's one thing that I think even the casual person can agree with. Jack Eichel is becoming more than just one of the best players you know, on the team or living up to the expectations, I should say, of being drafted second overall. He's legitimately becoming one of the best players in the NHL, period. Yes, he is off the chain. (laughs) Not a lot of uh, analyzing that required, that's for sure. Yeah, he's great. That's that's why the tank worked, because they got Jack Eichel. Tank, dude, you are doing a tremendous job of unintentionally segueing into the next things that I want to talk about, (laughs) because you said the word tank. When you say tank, I think of two things. I think of WGR 550, and I think of Bucky Gleason. Those are the two things that I always think of, the beef that went on during that era. I bring up Bucky because Bucky and Sully were writing for the Buffalo Maven. We got to have a little bit of sports media chat here now. Of course. Clearly, they're not writing for it anymore. I like both those guys. Both of them have been on my show. I think the world of both Bucky and Sully. I don't know what's going on. I don't think you do either, but... You've noticed this, correct? They were writing for the Buffalo Maven. They're not writing for it anymore. They don't talk about it on Twitter. It's been replaced. In fact, I went on Buffalo Maven. The articles are being penned by the Sports Exchange staff. Do you have any insight? Do you have any idea what happened? I have no idea. I mean, I've, I asked a few media folks Me too. Uh, about 
about them and they they had no idea. It's still on their Twitter bios that they're they're writers for the Maven still. So they haven't taken those off off their Twitter bios yet, but you know, they they may not even have noticed that. And I wouldn't have shot that wouldn't shock me. But yeah, I don't know what the deal is. I mean, my my assumption, I'm just freestyling here, is that they probably had a deal where they thought maybe, hey, if we get, you know, if you get like a would you say like 500,000 hits you'll get x amount of money and maybe they thought they were going to get paid more and maybe they haven't achieved those goals or whatever the case may be and they're done with it because yeah they yeah. have it goes and shows you how hard doing that and making a making money assuming that yeah. that's what it is because i do tend to agree with you without having any inside information it feels to me like they probably came to the conclusion that they were putting more time into their work writing articles. Cause I mean, they're professionals. They're not sitting there and pounding something out in 10 minutes. They're taking their time. They're writing well, you know, doing all that work to make probably peanuts probably wasn't worth their time. Yeah. And I know for, I know for a fact, they both, I don't say no for a fact, but I heard like they were, when they took those buyouts from the news, whatever they were going to do next, they wanted to get paid. Like they weren't going to do it as like, you know, half price or anything like that. Like they run to get bank. So if they're getting, if they're not making close to what they probably were, were making at the news on this site, then they probably were like, yeah, like we're, we're out of here. But yeah, it's completely weird. And look, that site, I, we were, we were it's garbage. Talk about I love Bucky yeah. and Sully. Dude, we'll, we'll say it. It was, it was garbage. Bucky and Sully were far too talented of writers to have their stuff appear on something. And it looked like it was put together by high school kids on a blog yeah. that looks like it was like, from 2011. You know what I mean? Blogs yeah. don't look like yeah. that in 2018. It was a disaster. It looked like a mess. It looked like complete shit. The whole launch I thought was stupid when they, when they just launched it out of nowhere and they already had like 10 articles from like uh, on there. Like when you logged on, they were dated already old and dated. It just, look, you have to, you have to have a nice website nowadays, especially if you're a professional like that. You can't, it can't. It can't be like what I had when I was. I had Joe, the Joe from NYC Blogspot, which was just a fucking shitty banner. And then I was like, oh, I don't care. Like you know, whatever. Like it's 2018. That stuff matters. People see that and they go, okay, you know, this looks like a very, you know, it's nice site. I mean, look at the Athletic. One of the reasons why Athletic's really good is their site's really nice. It's easy to navigate through. That one, that Sports Exchange Maven bullshit, that was hard. I it can't speak for Sully. And our, I can't speak for Bucky, I should say at all. But if I were Sully, me personally, I would just start a, a, a WordPress blog and just pound out maybe two columns a week. Do that. people. It's going to get out there. People follow you on Twitter. Maybe have, uh, if you want to try to monetize it a little bit, if you don't want it, but you don't want to be a salesperson, have to go out, get people to, to be Patreon. That's the new, that's mm. the new thing. Or send PayPal donations, whatever. You probably would at least make enough money to make it worth your time. Anyway, we'll find out what's going on with that. We don't know for sure. We just know that they're clearly not writing for them anymore. But I, I don't care so much about the writing. I certainly hope that the radio show that they're doing is doing well and that it continues to do well. Because for me, I think it's absolutely imperative that the Buffalo market, the Western New York market, has alternatives to listen to for good sports talk radio. You can't let a sports town that's as big as Buffalo essentially have a monopoly like such as WGR does right now. So I don't know what's going on with the radio show. They're still doing that. I hope that's doing well. It seems like it is. I think it's really, first of all, I like Bucky and Sully. And secondly, I just think it's really important for the WGR uh, to have some competition for that to continue. Yeah. I mean, 
we if we had a podcast like six seven years ago, we'd be saying the same thing. I mean, it hasn't been that way since NSA. I agree. You know, they come and go. Left. They come and go. Yep. Yeah, and all these these upstart these 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 sports radio shows have come and they've gone. Like Weck came when they had Mandola yep. and Ryder, and that blew up and died like a horrible death. And then they had the Bull had his like little sports radio state you know thing when he was on twelve seventy. And then now these guys have it. And none of them have been able to dent into WG. I don't know why. It's weird. Like, I'm on, I'll, I'll be on Twitter. And again, Twitter fringe, we know that's, that's a small portion of like the audience in Buffalo. But I, people always complain about GR, always. Like, I always hear people complain about GR on Twitter, like all the time. Like, ah, like this, that, or the other thing. And it's like, it doesn't, you're complaining about it, but no one, you're is, still it, listening. It, they're they're <laughs> still listening because no one's listening to the other guys. You know, for the most part. And maybe I don't know if it's like a transition to podcast. Maybe more people are doing that with Joe B's, you know, with the the Bill's Beat podcast or whatever the case may be. But, you know, I don't I don't know like what you know, if I if you told me, hey, what do you want out of a a sports radio station? I would say, like, you know, they have to be a little bit of an alternative. They have to find like different segments to do. I, I I've listened to Sully and Bucky like a few times. I kind of think they're just they're just curmudgeons. They're just assholes like the whole time like just bickering yelling and i'm just like okay great it feels like it just feels like your standard talk radio show where you know you're pontificating how much more you know than the the the, av- than the average fan you know and i think that just turns me off and i think they do that way too much and i and i listen because i knew when we talked about you talked about doing this segment i listened to them a little bit on from monday show because i wanted to hear what they said about the bills and the first like five minutes of their show was basically insulting twitter like all these trolls in my my mentions, uh, this and that. And I'm just like, you know what, dude? Like, who said that? I, B- Bucky and Sully did. They were yelling about like people t- tweeting. Yeah. It, you know, I, I'm just like, dude. Like, come on. And like, all, come on. Like, in all due respect to Jerry Sullivan, a guy who, again, I've told you this many times. I've talked about. I've had him on my podcast, and I've talked to him about him ad nauseum. How good I think he is. He might be the biggest Twitter troll among mainstream media that I've ever seen. He says yeah, he's, he's very Skip Bayless, like when it comes to Buffalo Twitter. He says shit yeah. just to get it to elicit a response. Hundred percent, exactly, totally does. I mean, he did it Sunday when he, at the end, look when the Bills game ended, he put the blame on on and he said like Darnold outplayed Josh Allen, and that's why they won. And it's like really, dude. I mean, I thought both quarterbacks kind of played the same, and the reason why the Bills lost was because the defense sucked in the second in the in the fourth quarter, and the special teams were abysmal. And I, I'm I can't believe they haven't fired Crossman yet. You know, like that sort of shit is what he does. But I don't know. Like, look overall, like. I, Everyone, GR has has been kicking everyone's ass. I don't know if it's because of like recognition because they've been there for a while. I don't know if it's because they have both the Bills and Sabers there, you know. And I think that has a big part because when NSA was competing against them, NSA had the Sabers, uh, uh, ninety seven Rock had the Bills, and GR didn't have anything like during that time frame. They were just like you know they had like their a couple of shows, you know, daily. So I, I think a lot of it has to do probably with who has a sports package. You know, I would say this. If I was if someone gave me money and told me, Joe, make a sports media platform for us in Buffalo, I would do like a big four like sports website about UB, Kanisha's, Bonaventure and Niagara. I would do everything about them. Yeah, and that's what I would concentrate on a podcast, articles, all that sort of stuff. And I would get both schools involved and all, all four schools involved and do something along those lines, because I think. I'm not going to sit here and say like UB is like, I'm not, I'm not a college football basketball guy. Like that's, uh, that's, you know, I am not an aficionado in that at all, but I, I do feel 
there is a buzz about the, about those programs on Twitter. And again, it's it's not there yet where it's competing against the Bills and Sabers, but it's growing. And I think that's something. Right now, there there's I think their games are on like the sister station of of Intercom, like of ESPN fifteen twenty or some shit. You know they do it like. And you can tell when GR talks about them, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, we got the coach on. I guess we got to talk about them. So whatever, you know, but no one, I don't think anyone is really spending that much time on those and those four as they should. That would be what I would do. You know, I would, that would, hell, I would even hire your boy Bucky and Sully to, to come on and do and be like, hey, you're going to be our college guys. And you're just going to cover these four teams, have podcasts. You have recognition. You've been covering the this, you know, you've been here for 20 years or whatever the hell they've been here for. Like that would be what I would do because I think that's a niche that has not been attacked yet. I, you know what? It's a, it's a fucking great idea, man. It really is a big Jesus. four. Something focusing yeah. exclusively on the big four, all, maybe all the teams. I think that's a great idea. And you know what? The fact that we're talking Bucky and Sully kind of proves my point when I talk about the radio side. I just hope that they can stay relevant just because I think it gives fans more to talk about like we're doing today. Before we get mm. out of here, dude, it's time to end this in traditional, the running with Joe fashion. What's your finisher, man? What do you got? Hit us off. You know what? I was going to talk about a little bit about me going back to Buffalo because I'm going back there for the holidays and I always love going back there and, you know, seeing my friends drinking at breweries, seeing the Sabres, you know, not having to worry about finding a, a feed for the bills or go to a bar. I can sit on my couch and watch it. You know, and every time I go home, I have this nostalgia feeling for Buffalo. Like I definitely, and you, you probably feel the same as well when you go back and visit. Sure. Um, but there's this one thing that I just do not understand. Why in the blue hell are people waiting for like two days for Chick Fil A when it opened? And this is maybe a little bit of old news because this happened about a week and a half ago. <laughs> I do not get that at all. I don't. I do not get. Anyone, and this isn't just a Buffalo thing. I don't get anyone who decides to wait for food for a day in any sort of camping thing. Because you know what? Get get this. It's open, and then two days later, it's still going to be open for you to go there and get food. So I'm just going to say this. Stop with the waiting in lines for anything, especially even if you want to even go to like, you know, Black Friday, waiting at four in the morning to go in a freaking Walmart to buy a $2 TV. Lines suck. And when I see you on TV waiting for that, I think you're completely, you know, I'm going to be very brash here. You're a loser. And I'm sorry if you listen to this podcast and you're one of those people who waits in those lines for Chick-fil-A for a day or wait on Black Friday in line for a day. Y'all need to, like, really put things in perspective. You have, you're never going to get that day back in your life. And it's sad. Okay, my guest today has been host of the Solo Monster Sounds Off podcast, a show he's been at since 2007, and it's a widely popular show 
During that time, he's interviewed a who's who in the world of wrestling, guys including Cena, HBK, Jim Ross, Daniel Bryan, H.S. Styles. I could go on and on forever. His shows won several podcasting awards, including Wrestling Radio Awards winner for show of the year, three years running. I'm talking about Jason Solomon, better known as the Solomon Monster. What's up, Jason? How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Patrick. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm a big fan of your show. Have been for a while. I've listened to it since I started my own podcast. My show is mainly about sports and recreation, but man, I'm a big wrestling fan. I'm a mark. So when I get an opportunity to get someone like you on this show, I said, you know what? I got to get you on, man. Talk a little wrestling. Well, I feel so special. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> but before I'll tell you what, though, before getting into any wrestling, this is a podcast. And sometimes I like to talk about podcasting a little bit because it interests me. Let me start by asking you how your show came to be. Like, what made you decide that doing the Salamancer Sounds Off is something that you wanted to do? Well, really, it, it started as a favor to a friend uh, who runs a wrestling news website. There was a, a need, a uh, thirst, I guess you would say, at the time for more original content. And so we had been talking about it for some time. Uh, the pitch was made. I said, look, you know, I could do... Back then, there were audio shows to show how far back and old I am. <laughs> and he kind of liked the idea. And I said, let's try it out for a while and see how it goes. And I think the first show I ever did was about seven and a half minutes long, uh, which is comical. If anybody who listens to my show knows the length of the shows today, you would laugh. <laughs> uh, and so that really was the genesis of it. It was more as a kind of a favor to a friend that I sort of grew into it and over time, I realized, hey, this could this could turn into something a lot more than I ever thought it would be. Now, of course, one of the keys to building a good podcast or radio show, whatever you want to call it, doesn't matter, is longevity. How did you build a good audience through the years? I'm sure that there's plenty of podcasters out there right now who may be listening to this, and they have goals and aspirations of building a long-term successful podcast, much like you've done. How do you go about doing that? What's your process? Uh, it was a combination of uh, a lot of different things. I mean, I think consistency is very important. People ask me questions sometimes. How do I start my own show? What equipment do you use? And things of that nature. And they say, like, how do I build an audience? Because I have a show and nobody knows it exists. That's sort of the age-old question. In my case, I benefited at first from being part of that website. That website is a pretty popular one. It had a built-in audience. And that gave me an exposure to people who may otherwise not have known I existed. And from there, and eventually I took it independent, uh, it really just became a matter of being on you know, as many platforms as possible. Uh, I started a separate YouTube channel. It's not a YouTube show that I do, but I thought it was important to have that as an avenue uh, where I could sort of have supplemental content and, and use that as a promotional vehicle for the larger show and just plug away on social media. I, I think all of those things, it sort of built to a, a critical mass and over time. Uh, people like what they were hearing, word of mouth. That's always very important. And it just grew from there. If people like your sound and they like uh, the content that you're putting out, they will they will find your show. You just have to be patient. Now, through your career, you've had an opportunity to interview a lot of big-time wrestlers. Many of them I mentioned at the top of the intro. Who are a few to you that may stand out the most? Guys, whether it was a big name or just someone that you really, really enjoyed interviewing a lot. I, I've enjoyed a lot of the interviews I've done. I mean, some of the names I think of is a name like Bob Holly. You know, he's not a mainstream name. He's not a name that if you're a casual fan, you might know. 
Uh, but he was a pretty big name in wrestling for a number of years and he's a straight shooter. And I remember talking to him 90 minutes and, uh, he was as open as anybody I've ever talked to before and just an all around nice guy. And I've been able to form these, these relationships in some cases, even friendships with some people. Uh, there was another wrestler, diamond Dallas page, uh, who has become known for uh, things other than wrestling. Uh, he's one of the good guys and I've been able to talk to him two different times on my show. Uh, the biggest one for me that sticks out, uh, is mean Gene Okerlund. He is a, uh, a legend as far as wrestling broadcasters are concerned. And I had the opportunity through a separate gig, uh, last year to sit down and do a physical face to face with him. And he had some very nice comments for me when that was over. And that's something that I won't ever forget. Sure. What are a few of your favorite wrestling podcasts out there? I mean, <laughs> I'm assuming that you're busy and you don't get a chance to listen to as many as you like, but I'm sure you do at least get to hear some here and there. You got a couple out there, one or two that are among your favorites. Yeah. I mean, there's actually a lot of really good ones out there. It's like you said, it, it really just boils down to having time. Uh, it feels like I have something I have none of these days. I know even just, uh, being able to put this thing together here, I know it took, took longer than I had hoped, but, uh, you have fan podcasts and you have wrestler podcasts. There's so many of them. Uh, there's a lot of really good wrestler podcasts out there, but you know, some of the fan ones, I, I hate to single people out cause there are whole bunch of good ones and some of them i consider friends you know there's always a show like a wrestling soup which is always fun because they're yeah you, know, you get a mix of sort of comedy with wrestling discussion and and there's there's a whole bunch of of different shows that's the cool thing about it is if you want to hear from somebody who's quote unquote in the wrestling business in the business you've got your who's who to choose from steve austin chris jericho taz uh there's a lot of really good shows out there but the fan shows also, I think, uh, bring a, an interesting perspective as well. I may be a little biased when I say that uh, for obvious reasons. But, yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with uh, with a show like a Wrestling Soup or, a, you know, a Don Tony and Kevin Castle or uh, any of the other ones that are out there. What do you think about a couple of the shows where there are guys who are once prominent figures in the business who pretty much are, you know, at this point, storytellers like Jim Cornette's podcast or 83 Weeks with Bischoff or Vince Russo's Truth With Consequence, which I'm going to be honest with you, me and you have never talked before we're doing this interview right now. Not a fan. I'm not not a fan of Vince Russo. Always seems to end up putting himself over. Every topic ends up with him coming out smelling like a rose in his eyes. But anyway, just generally speaking, you know, those type of podcasts, what do you think of those? Do you feel like you get something out of them? Or do you think that these are just guys who are, you know, making some advertising dollars or Patreon dollars and stuff like that and just keeping them, trying to keep themselves relevant? Yeah, you have a lot of guys who are doing that, who who are in it just because they want to keep their name out there. Yeah, you know, look, it might be good for them when they're trying to go out and get independent bookings and bookings at uh, conventions and things, and I don't fault them for it. I get a lot out of uh, some of the pod, like the Bruce Pritchard podcast that he does with Conrad. You know, Conrad Thompson is sort of the anchor of a lot of different yeah, podcasts with right. different, and and he does it. He does a tremendous job at it. He, he has this ability to pull things out of people that maybe they otherwise wouldn't be willing to, to talk about. So when I have time to listen to a Bruce Pritchard, uh, I don't really listen to Eric Bischoff's podcast, but Tony Schiavone, he's another one. Uh, he's got a fun show that he does with Conrad. They'll share stories that are a lot of fun. You know, in a lot of cases, I may never have heard them before. Uh, and so you get a lot of background information that either corrects things that you thought were right, uh, but weren't, or just 
fun stories that you never heard before. So yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack uh, if you have the time to sit down and listen to uh, you know a show that can sometimes run probably uh, three three and a half hours. I'm with Jason Solomon, Solomon Sounds Off Podcast. Jay, I want to turn my attention to WWE for a second here, current WWE. I want to run down Sunday's TLC card in a minute while I got you here. Uh, like I said, I don't want to keep you forever, but I do got a few general WWE questions. Like specifically, what's going on with WWE these days, especially with Raw? I mean, the ratings are plummeting and they're struggling to put anything out there that that's really interesting right now. Yeah, I mean, this is not exactly their best uh, their best days as far as Monday Night Raw is concerned. I mean, that that really, I think, is where the issue is right now. They have so many different shows. SmackDown is a whole other entity unto itself. And you know, to me, SmackDown is hot or cold, but it's not a show that usually makes me appalled, as though I feel like I've wasted my time watching it. You know, Monday Night Raw is their anchor show. It's their flagship. They've got a real problem because the show just has not been entertaining. Uh, they've dealt with a lot of injuries and so they've had some setbacks they've had to deal with, but it's weird. We're seeing on social media, especially we, we, we are kind of getting this backlash from some of the people internally in the company talent that speaks up and, and loves to kind of talk back to the fans or even put down the fans in some cases. I don't think that's a smart way to do business. Uh, I get that they've got their own internal problems and, and we don't know the way that everything works behind the scenes. I mean, me personally, I'm not the kind of person who professes to know everything about everything, but I know what I see when I put the show on and the show has not been doing very well because frankly, the show just isn't very good. And that's something that uh, they're going to have to deal with. And whether it's a matter of just not having good writers, if it's a matter of uh, not having good direction from the person who's sort of overseeing the show, wink, wink. I think we all know who that is. Uh, Whatever. Whatever it may be, I think it's a whole bunch of different problems. You know, we're going into the new year. This is sort of a dead period with the holidays coming up. They're going to have to recalibrate uh, going into Royal Rumble and WrestleMania season. I would think the numbers are going to start to tick back up. But, uh, you know, you compare those numbers to a year ago or two years ago, and there's a definite downward trend uh, that they have not been able to reverse. What do you make of some of the WWE Twitter beefs that are going on? I mean, a lot of it, I'm sure, is, you know, kind of storyline, but there's some truth mixed in. Someone like Becky Lynch, who just owns her opponents on Twitter right now, it gets to a point with some of these Twitter beefs that it's almost more entertaining to go on Twitter and see Becky Lynch, you know, going at it with Charlotte or something like that than it is to turn on the TV and see some of these people going at it. You know what I mean? Yes, I think three hours of reading Becky Lynch tweets would be far more entertaining on Monday nights than Raw itself. <laughs> yeah, right uh, sto- Story time with Becky sitting by the fireplace reading tweets is, is fine with me. You know, she's a great example of somebody, because I've said this a lot on my show over the years, there's been so many cases of social media proving to be just an awful, terrible thing for so many wrestlers who, you know, maybe a little late at night, maybe they have a little too much to drink, And they go off on some Twitter rant and they end up embarrassing themselves uh, or just embarrassing themselves in some other way. Social media, in a lot of ways, has been terrible for wrestling. Becky Lynch is an example of social media done right, uh, because all it does is it serves to enhance her character, to enhance her her personality and her gimmick. uh, And she's knocking it out of the park right now. And a lot of that has to do, frankly, with her tweets, you know, and her presence on social media, which, as you said, is uh, is very entertaining and it may it may go very far hopefully in uh, launching her into the WrestleMania main event next year. I'm going to be completely honest with you Jason. 
I haven't been a big fan of the women's revolution, at least at the start anyway, I wasn't over these past couple of years. And if I'm being even more honest, and I know this is not going to be a very popular opinion, but there was a time and a place where I felt like, you know what, WWE, give them their own hour show on the network like NXT has or something along those lines. Keep them off Raw and SmackDown. But that's changed. I was wrong. And I've never been more happy to be wrong because quite frankly, now I'm at a point where quite often the most interesting things going on in WWE lately, they involve Becky Lynch and Charlotte or Ronda Rousey. It's to a point where I almost look forward to seeing the women come on the TV more than I do most of the men. You know, my bathroom breaks or channel flips used to be when, you know, a Ruby Riot match broke out or something like that. Now it's the complete opposite. The women come on, they have my undivided attention. Am I wrong? Am I completely wrong with thinking that women wrestling right now is just as interesting, if not even more interesting than the men? No, no. I mean, I, I feel the same way most weeks. I mean, so it's, it's hit or miss. Again, some weeks maybe is not as entertaining as others. I'm not as big, you know, like, uh, for example, on Monday Night Raw, I keep, hate beating up on Raw. Who am I kidding? I love beating up on Raw. It's as <laughs> awful as it's been. It deserves it. But like the women's division on Raw right now, I think, is lacking in a lot of ways. I don't find it nearly as interesting as what's going on with SmackDown. Uh, but you know, when I make comments on my show and I don't get a lot of pushback, I think a lot of people would agree with me, but there are people who will say, oh, you know, come on, you're only saying that you want to see Becky Lynch in the WrestleMania main event, because that's the cool thing to do now. The women are sort of in vogue and they're pushing an agenda. No, I mean, I, I say that because that is genuinely the most entertaining thing on any of their television shows right now. And if they can kind of maintain that momentum going into WrestleMania next year, there is no other storyline or feud at the moment, I can honestly tell you, involving any of the men that interests me as much as what I'm seeing with the two or three main women, for example, right now on SmackDown, or the prospect of something with Becky and Ronda Rousey. Ronda's a, a raw talent. Uh, that I find to be far more interesting than anything involving the men. And for the, for the guys, that's, I guess, not a good thing. Uh, but for the women, this is the first time that I've ever felt that way about them watching this company. And I've been watching WWE my whole life. So uh, I don't think you're wrong for saying that at all. Do you feel like for all the good that's going on with the women in WWE right now that to an extent, anyway, Sasha Banks and Bailey are kind of getting left behind. I think they're almost getting buried. You know what? I don't want to say buried. Buried's the wrong word, but they've stalled. It feels to me like, again, for everything good going on with the women right now in WWE, it feels to me like Sasha Banks and Bailey are kind of stuck in neutral. Yeah, and they're not the only ones. Uh, you know, you use them as an example. You look at the year they've had here in, in 2018, uh, and I'm starting to look back on the year now as we head into the end of the year, because that's when I do my end of the year things and top matches and it's amazing the year that they've had, and, and they're two talents who uh, it kind of looked like they were going one way, and then they didn't. The start and stop pushes, and I can only imagine, they won't say this publicly, I'm sure, but I can only imagine how they must feel about it. Uh, you hope that things will change, but again, it goes to the creative. And, and when I see things like I did on Twitter this week, I'm not sure if you, if you saw this yourself, but you know, there were comments made by a former WWE writer, uh, Jimmy Jacobs, who's also an independent wrestler, 
he hasn't written for them in a while, but you know, he made the comment saying, man, it's really effing hard to write a three hour television show. And you have somebody like Seth Rollins, who's a good friend of his come out and say, yeah, you know, I don't really think people fully realize that, you know, we're producing five hours of television a week. And the comment he made was, it's amazing the show, given all of these circumstances, it's a miracle the show is as good as it is. Given And talk about faint praise. I read that. I said, holy, holy cow. I said, if that's the measuring stick here, then we're really in trouble. If, uh, if, if the idea is that the show is as good as it is, you know, given the circumstances, the show just isn't good. And you know, to talk about Sasha and Bailey... Yeah, look, I sympathize. I'm sure producing a five hour five hours of television a week is not easy. But at the end of the day, it comes down to stories. And they just are misusing people. And in other cases, they seemingly don't know how to tell a good story. You know, are you going to blame the fans for that? Are you going to blame five hours of television? You know, you got to take accountability at the end of the day. And, and they're just not willing to do that. Yeah, that's my last question. And then I want to run down the TLC card before we get out of here. Do you feel like WWE, and maybe it's because of injuries or they're just panicking for whatever reason, that they're starting to overdo it and get a little too generous when it comes to heel and face turns recently? Because I mean, it's hard to keep freaking track sometimes. I get some of them, and some of them work. Like, I understand why Dean Ambrose turned and doing it right, you know, the same night that Roman announced that he had leukemia. I thought that was a really good twist. Daniel Bryan turning heel. I get that. I get some of the things. But on the other hand, I like, why turn Elias into a good guy? He was a guy who was like, he was essentially burning the buildings down with heat, running down each city that he was in, you know, bad mouth in the city. That I thought that was amazing. Why turn him into a good guy? I feel like it's only a matter of time before that goes stale. Or a couple months ago, when they turned Braun Strowman into a heel. That was just a terrible idea. I just don't get some of what they're doing recently because something different seems to be happening every single week now. Yeah. One of the best uh, segments on television, uh, probably of the entire, <laughs> of the entire year. One of the few good things about raw, uh, was a segment that they had a number of months ago with Elias and Kevin Owens, where they were in the ring and they oh, got yeah. nuclear heat. Yeah, it, was the uh, best. And I it was, it was great. It was like a, a joke about the local basketball team, or I think it was, but, uh, I believe that was that had more to do with Roman Reigns getting sick and they felt that, well, we need a new, you know, baby face. And I think that was more just a matter of circumstance. Look, you know, far be it for me to sit here and say that, well, you're turning too many people because God knows on my show a lot. I'm always saying this guy should turn heel and this person should turn, but not all at the same time. You know, I think that's part I think that's part of the problem, too. And I think Jim Ross maybe uh, at some point had made a comment like this. You know, you're trying to tell stories with these characters that people see every single week, week after week. And so you want to form some kind of attachment to them. It's hard to do that when you're having so many people turning left and right week after week. You know, Big Show came back. Now he's out again, but he came back. And what was the first thing he did? He turned. With him, it's comical because, you know, he turns more than probably a car making five U-turns. <laughs> but, you know, you got Big Show. They, they turned Bobby Lashley. Uh, Daniel Bryan, you mentioned there are some of them like Daniel Bryan and even Lashley, where it was a turn for the good, you know, for the sake of the character, it was the right move to make. The problem is it came at a time when so many other people turned and, you know, Dean Ambrose turned recently, your head starts to spin because you don't know who to like and, and right, who to, yeah. you know, it, it's tough. So when you have characters that people can't relate to or just aren't very likable, 
that goes to also why I think the show, frankly, isn't doing very well these days. There's no attachment. People don't have a reason to stick with the show. And so they turn the show off and go find something else to do. All right. Before I let you get out of here, I'm going to run down the TLC card. Just want to get a quick prediction from you, maybe a little bit of insight for each match. And obviously, everyone out there listening, go to the Solomon Sounds Off podcast, which is on Sunday. I'll let you tell them about the show at the end, too, for much more in-depth detail on what you're thinking. But I'm I'm assuming these first two matches are going to be on the pre-show. You got the Mixed Match Challenge Final, R-Truth and Carmella against Jinder Mahal and Alicia Fox. Who you got? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think R-Truth and Carmella probably in this match, uh, I'm, I'm flabbergasted that after weeks and weeks and weeks of this competition, uh, and I know that it's been plagued by injuries. I mean, I'm going to run it down on my show this weekend. It's, it's horrendous how many people in this tournament <laughs> were, were taken out over the course of the season because of injury or illness. Uh, but they added the stipulation that the winning team, each member will end up being number 30 in their respective Royal Rumble match. And the two teams in the finals here, I think, were the two teams that had two of the worst records in the entire competition. So there you go. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to to get behind anybody when uh, everybody is treated like a joke. But uh, I think our truth and Carmella win, and they'll just you know play it up for laughs. Let me ask you this: I'm going to stray off with Carmella. Would you have figured maybe uh, what was it two years ago or so when Enzo Amari and, and Big Cass come up? She doesn't even get the call up at the time. They're the big deal. They're the hot tag team. She's left behind in NXT for a while. A couple of years later, fast forward, look look what's happened. She's kind of made a good name for herself and adapted and had a couple characters that I think she's played pretty well. She's not the greatest wrestler. I don't think she ever will be, but she's playing characters pretty well. And she, to me, anyway, I think she's kind of entertaining right now. Yeah, I mean, she who, who would have known that she would be the last man standing and Cass and Enzo would be on the unemployment line. But that's uh, funny how those things can work out sometimes. Uh, they're, they're kind of out of the company, uh, falling on tough times and she's still on television doing her thing. I think, look, her and truth together are very entertaining. They found an act, I think with them that works. Uh, like you said, she's not known for her wrestling prowess, but I think as a personality and, and as a talker, uh, she's, you know, perfectly fine. So, you know, good for her. She found a role that works. 205 cruiserweight title, buddy Murphy against Cedric Alexander. What you got? Uh, yeah, I don't think they're doing a title change here. I think Buddy Murphy uh, keeps it, and uh, I hope he does. Okay. Natalia against Ruby Riot in a tables match. Who do you got in that? And also, what did you think of Monday's promo with Ruby Riot having the table with Anvil on, on the table? Uh, I mean, look, I, I, I think it's stupid. It doesn't offend me or bother me. You know, look, if, if Natalia's fine with it, then then who cares? I just... It's the actual program. The actual feud hasn't really moved me. So uh, if I was offended by anything, I guess it's just a lack of being entertained. Uh, as far as who wins, I think after all the uh, shenanigans and all the crying and sort of beating her down, I think it's time for the uh, the baby face to get her com- to get not her comeuppance to get her revenge. I should uh, correct myself there. So I think Natalia wins. All right, we got a triple threat. Tag team, SmackDown tag team title championship match. Champions, the bar against the Usos against the New Day. Who you got? Yeah, I don't see a tag team title change here either. So I think the uh, the bar, I think the other two teams sort of cancel each other out. Look, I mean, I, I love these uh, these guys. I think they work well together. I think the Usos are a tremendous act. And, you know, them and the New Day, I could, you know, they got chemistry. I could watch them all day long. The problem is, it's just the same two or three teams, it feels like. So 
you know, you put the belts back on them. You're just playing hot potato with it. So I just say, keep the belts exactly where they are with the bar. What about the ladder match? We got Bobby Lashley against Elias. Uh, oh, that's right. It is a ladder match, isn't it? See, it's, it's, it's amazing when you look at this card, 12 matches on this card. You would think it's WrestleMania. Right. Uh, yeah. Ladder match, guitar hanging from the ceiling. Uh, you know, I, I don't really see a reason to beat Lashley here. I think there's a, a way where you can get uh, Leo Rush involved, uh, you know, to kind of cost Elias the match. And hey, look, maybe when the match is over, he gets a good guitar shot in on one of them. But I, I think Lashley ekes out the win. Uh, okay, we got a chairs match. Randy Orton against Rey Mysterio. We got. I got Randy Orton. Not a lot of explanation there. I feel the same way. In fact, there's probably even going to be less for this one. Drew McIntyre and Finn Balor. Uh, yeah, I got Drew McIntyre in this match. They've, they've done a very good job, I will say, if they've done one thing right on Monday Night Raw. They have managed to, despite his loss to Dolph Ziggler a couple of weeks ago, uh, to keep him very strong and to build Drew McIntyre for the future. You know, he he beat Kurt Angle, which was, I mean, granted, it's 50-year-old Kurt Angle, but nonetheless, he beat Kurt Angle a number of weeks ago. Uh, he's clearly being groomed for bigger things. I see no reason for him to lose here. Yeah, I agree 100%. Big major push on its way for Drew McIntyre. What about the Women's Raw Championship title match? Got Ronda Rousey defending against Nia Jax. How do you see that playing out? Uh, I see Ronda retaining. I, I sure hope that they uh, they don't do a title change here. I think it would be a big mistake. Seth Rollins taking on Dean Ambrose. Just a regular match. Uh, it is a regular match. It is for the Intercontinental Championship. This one's a little tougher to call, uh, you know, as far as which way uh, this might go. You know, I'm going to I'm going to save that one for the show this weekend and uh, and reveal my pick on the uh, podcast when I run down the predictions. Gotcha. What about Daniel Bryan defending the SmackDown title against AJ Styles in a rematch? I think uh, Bryan, I am digging the uh, evil environmentalist gimmick that he's got going here. I think it's funny, but I think it's also he just comes across as being completely unhinged and psychotic and yet somehow dressed like a grandfather. And only Daniel Bryan can pull that off. And, uh, you know, AJ had a a year long run with the championship. A lot of stories that it was his call to lose the title. He was sort of run down and uh, I don't see them putting the, the title back on him here. So I'm going with Daniel Bryan. Okay, we got a TLC match that and we're taping this late Thursday. We don't know as of now, but it's scheduled to be Braun Strowman against Baron Corbin. I've seen a lot of reports on the internet on Thursday night as we taped this that Strowman may not wrestle. So let me ask you this. If he does wrestle, does he win? And if he doesn't wrestle, who do you think might take his place? Uh, I think he will wrestle. I don't think it'll be much of a match. If it were me, it would be a quick one and done type of thing. I know he'll be there. Um, If for some reason he can't go, Uh, You know, look, they could have Kurt Angle. Look, Kurt Angle, don't forget, he used to be the Raw GM and he got sent away on vacation. Corbin took his place. There's some unfinished business there. Uh, We haven't seen Kurt since he was beaten by Drew McIntyre a number of weeks ago. So for some reason, Strowman can't go. Uh, I don't know how they explain it, but I think I could see uh, Kurt Angle taking his place and, and winning his job back, possibly, as the Raw GM. But I think the match for the Royal Rumble is going to be Strowman and Lesnar for the championship. And so Strowman is going to have to get a win here, either directly or by proxy. Okay. I saved the best for last. And I don't want a prediction for this match. Save it for your podcast on Sunday. 
give people another reason who are listening to tune into your show on Sunday. Triple threat match for the SmackDown women's title. You got Becky Lynch, Charlotte, and Asuka. Do you anticipate this being the best match of the night? Do you think it should be the main event? And do you think it will be the main event? I think it should be the main event. I think it will be the main event because it goes back to what I said earlier. There really is no other match on this show. And, you know, maybe Seth and Dean is the closest because that's been built up for a little while. But even Seth and Dean, there's no other match that interests me more than this match on the show. And and I would have said that even before they added Asuka and made it a triple threat. But now that they have done that, uh, I feel even uh, strong, more strongly about that. So, yes, I, I, I think the right thing to do would be for it to be the main event. And I think it will be. And it's the match I'm looking forward to the most. All right. Since you could do it far more justice than I ever could. Tell listeners out there right now a little bit about your show, when exactly it's on, and what the format is. Well, it's a fan-hosted podcast. Again, uh, you've got so many wrestling ones, some of which are wrestler-hosted, but it's a fan-hosted show. Uh, Once a week, every Sunday, it is not live. Uh, It is recorded and then uploaded, and you can access it from a whole multitude of different platforms. Uh, People love listening to it, obviously, in iTunes. We just got added recently to iHeartRadio. Uh, Spotify is a big one as well. Stitcher radio, pretty much everywhere you can listen to podcasts. That's where you can find the sound off. Uh, and we talk everything from breaking news to analysis of the different shows of which there are many every single week, including a lot of non WWE shows. I know this is primarily a WWE discussion, but more and more, you know, you're hearing about promotions, whether it's a New Japan or an MLW is another new one. They're having their first live show on television tomorrow night. In fact, uh, you know, there's a lot to uh, unpack every single week. So we do that, uh, some fan Q&A. I do a segment called Buy or Sell where people will, uh, you know, email those questions in and uh, and just recapping some wrestling history like we're doing now. I'm doing a countdown of the top Royal Rumble championship matches of all time. And people seem to be enjoying that. So I have tried to find a mix of a lot of different things that people enjoy. Uh, you know, if, if anyone does a show, they probably would tell you the same thing that, uh, you, you got to change things up every now and then and, and shake things up to keep people interested and it seems to be working. So I'll, uh, I'll keep doing what I'm doing. The Salamonster sounds off podcast. Everyone out there listening, give Jay a follow on Twitter as well. You could follow him at Solomonster, and that's S-O-L-O Monster. Jay, thanks a lot for your time, man. I know you're a really busy dude, so I appreciate you, man. Appreciate you a lot. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Moranolytics MVP. You the real MVP. Yo, Trey White did not have a very good game against the New York Jets last Sunday, but Trey White is winning social media and winning the hearts of Bills and Sabres fans. I don't know if you had a chance to check it out, but if not, go on Sabres Twitter, Bills Twitter, or go to one of their websites. I'm sure it's everywhere. They did a promotional video for the Trey White Goalie Academy. Carter Hutton and Marty Baron get on the fun. This dude is just hilarious. He gets it. He gets Buffalo. He's really endearing himself to the fans. He's become a personal favorite of mine. Probably my favorite player on the Buffalo Bills. Going all the way back to probably Eric Moulds. Again, great corner. Did not have a great game against the Jets on Sunday. But who even cares? 
He's the Moran Analytics Podcast MVP because I want to be a part of the Trey White Goalie Academy forever. All right, folks, that will do it for this episode. Thank you once again, Jay Solomon, better known as the Solomon Monster. I said it at the top, and I'm going to say it again. I love listening to wrestling podcasts. There's many great ones out there, especially if you like to listen to shows about reliving history, the good old days, the nostalgia aspect of wrestling. There's so many of them. 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Something to wrestle with with Bruce Pritchard. I could go on and on and on. But if you're in the hunt for a show that's all about current wrestling news and insight and show reviews and show previews, things like that, there is nothing out there that is better than the Solo Monster Sounds Off podcast. I promise you that. It's literally as good as it gets. Jay does an incredible job. Go check it out. Thanks as well to my boy, Joe, the Running With Joe. We do that almost every Friday on this show. And I'll tell you what, it may have been my favorite Running With Joe segment yet. Very good job, Joe. Thanks again. Guys, I say it every week. I'm going to say it again. If you have not done it already, please go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it. Subscribe to this show. It is quick. It is easy. It is free. All you have to do is is open up your iPhone, open up the Apple Podcast app, type search, type in Moranalytics Podcast, hit the subscribe button, bam, that is it. New episodes automatically will get sent right to your phone. And if you don't have Apple Podcasts, you can also catch us on Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are heard. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. Have a nice, safe weekend. Got a new show for you on Tuesday. I'll catch you on the flippity-flip. Bye.